Listen, uh, you don't notice it until something goes wrong and then the pressure's on them. So we really appreciate they serve us every single week as well. Hey, before I uh, I launch, just let me tell you, my name's Greg and I'm part of the leadership here. It's great to have you as part of our worship service today. Um, I'm going to talk probably for the next 20 minutes or so, um, give you some teaching. And um, if you're visiting with us for the very first time, we give you a special welcome. We actually have a Connect Lounge just at the, the back of our auditorium here. We'd love to meet with you at the end of the service. And just if you have any questions, get to, get to know us. Um, we'll have a coffee together. So before you head off, make sure you just head down there. We have some hosts there that will look after you. It'd be great to, to connect as well. I've got a really special announcement. In fact, when I realised it was happening, I wrote it on a sticky note and put it on my notes. It's Jean Herod's birthday today. Jean. Stand up, Jean. Now, he's going to be very, very embarrassed, and probably Tuesday he's going to come into my office and hit me. But this is a great, great man of God. He's just, he's such a servant. I mean, I know you guys might see him doing different stuff um, at certain events, but during the week he comes in and we do a whole lot of stuff together. Jean, we should tell him the story of trying to put the covers back on the on the baptismal font. No, we won't tell him that because Charles hurt his back and anyway, look, happy birthday, Gene. Fantastic. Yeah, you're a great guy. Wish you all the best. I hope you have a great lunch or are you doing something special? Engagement. Wow. He's doing two things in one day. That's incredible. I didn't think men could multitask. You're setting the standard too high for us, Gene. Um, you know how God moves, it's just incredible. So when Marie got up and she's, you know, during the worship and shared a word around how she felt God uh, as, as we want to connect, he wants to connect with us as a father. And then Clarissa got up um, during the Lord's table and talked about her father. Well, you'd never guess what I'm talking about today. And we, I did not talk to Marie. I did not talk to Clarissa. Um, I'm going to talk about, do you have a father wound? That's what I'm going to talk about. And in fact, I've asked Sue, she's been stressing for the last week. This is my wife, Sue. She's going to come up and both of us are going to share a little bit of our stories about our fathers because our journeys are quite different about a relationship with our dads. So before we get to that, the reason why I wanted to share about it is that, you know, we often talk about father as God. We hear terms like um, everlasting father and that's one of the scriptures I'm going to show you today. If you put that next slide up for me. We're looking at Isaiah, which is an Old Testament um, prophecy around what was happening in northern Israel in about 735 years before Christ. And the Israelites had been attacked by the Assyrian Empire as a form of God's judgment for their rebellion and disobedience that had gone on for quite some time. They had a series of evil, self-centered kings that had led them into this judgment. Idolatry was practiced. They weren't following the instructions that God was giving them for their nation, for their lives. And so God actually allowed the Assyrian Empire to come in and it devastated many towns. Jerusalem is a city. Um, uh, so many families were taken as, as captives into Assyria and made to live in a very foreign culture as slaves. So at this point in history, God sends a man, Isaiah, who has a prophetic gift, and God uses him to bring some hope back into that situation. And effectively, God says to them, I'm not going to leave you here in this state forever. I'm going to give you some hope. You won't 
be captive by the Assyrians and live in devastation and isolation for the next generations. In fact, I'll send you a king that you've never experienced before. And that's really what this verse is about. Go to the next slide. So verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 6. And this is often used around Christmas time where it says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. That's the whole thing about kingship, being a ruler, being a saviour, being a redeemer. And so the government, this is about being a, who's going to rule over them. And then we have these titles given to this coming king who's not yet here. And these titles are called throne names. Kings would often give themselves a name in this, in this particular part of the world. Um, in that time of history, they'd give themselves a name to represent what they thought they were going to be like and almost godlike. In fact, a lot of kings um, across the earth, right through the ages really, thought they were deities in flesh. And so these throne names are very particular and specific. And so here they are. He says, he'll be called, here's the first one, Wonderful Counselor. This new king will be called Mighty God. This new saviour is everlasting father. And that's the phrase I'm going to look at today. And he's also going to be the Prince of Peace. Now imagine living in a war torn country under rulership of a foreign government, enslaved, and you hear these words. And so Isaiah's talking into their situation 700 years before Christ, but this scripture has two levels to it. It's not just about their situation historically, it was about the coming king that we've been singing about, Jesus. And it's a prophetic level that we're entering. Now, we we live post-Jesus' death and resurrection, And so we read it looking back. But when it was written to um, the children of Israel in the northern part of their kingdom, who were suffering um, at the hands, the devastation was just enormous. They were wanting a king to come. And so when the prophecy comes that a new king would redeem and save them, it indicates that this king is going to be like no other king the earth has ever seen. And in fact, when you look at these throne names, these titles... No human king could actually carry that. That's actually why theologians, so people who study the scripture over a lifetime, understand the historical context, know the ancient languages and world, and they they discuss this verse because they realize no human king could actually be all of those four things. It's just not possible. In fact, most kings are self-serving. And so to have this ascribed not to just a human, but to who we call Jesus Christ, and as most of us, if you're a Christian in this room, you know that he is your king. That's a bit foreign for us. We don't live in a kingdom. We don't live, I've been to some countries where they have kings. You haven't been to Thailand or Cambodia? Those kingdoms are still practiced in some cultures of the world today. But for us as Westerners, we don't fully, um, I suppose, are exposed to the whole thing of having a king. So what does it mean when he's our everlasting father? Now think of this. When I, when I was been studying this verse for quite some, some months now, I was reading it and I was, the, the thought came to my head, it seems like a contradiction to call Jesus father. Does anyone think about that? So because we are actually, we believe that God exists in three distinct persons, which we call the Trinity. That's the phrase that, that Christians over the years have given the God we worship, we have God the Father, God the Son, 
and God the Holy Spirit. Now, they're all God, and there's, there's a mystery. The human mind can't really totally comprehend how can we have one God that exists in three persons. And so actually early on, just after the death and resurrection of Jesus and when he ascended back into heaven, the first Christians that gathered together were Jewish. And then after that, quite a few non-Jews became into the church, sort of around seven or nine years after um, the, the establishment of the first church. And as these non-Jews entered the church, so people like you and me who don't share that, that Judaism culture, they're trying to figure out how is Jesus God? And so all these different actually bad or false teachings called heresies began to develop. One of them was called modalism, which simply means that God is only one person but reveals himself in three different modes. So he can reveal himself as a father, he can reveal himself as a son, or he can reveal himself as the spirit. Now that's actually a false teaching. And in fact, very early on in the early church, they quickly said that's not the case. That even though it's hard for a human mind to comprehend, we believe that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it's not just different forms of the one being. And so we, we're not talking about modalism here, but here's the thing that I realized, is when Jesus is talked about as our everlasting Father, he's not Father in the sense that we understand that word in a, sort of a Western context, but he's Father in the sense that he's the beginning of the new kingdom. So you know in, in some countries they have fathers of the nation, uh, fathers of medicine. So we actually use that terminology um, quite often in our normal language and, and speech. And it's, so it's not as if Jesus is God the Father. That's a misconception. But what it's saying is Jesus takes on the role of beginning a new kingship. He is unlike any other redeemer, saviour that anyone has ever seen. And no just human person could be all of those things. But Jesus is because he's also God. So he's a whole new government or rulership. There's a, you know, f for example, we are his, we've heard the phrases already, children. We are sons and daughters. That indicates his fatherly role. It doesn't make him God the father, but he's the beginning of the kingdom that we now belong to here on earth. And so this is the concept that we have in this scripture. No human could attain these roles. And it's a prophetic message about Jesus who was yet to come at that time, but for us has come and we can become part of his kingdom by following his teachings for life. That's really what it's talking about. He's our everlasting father. So here's what it is. It's an analogy. That phrase about Jesus is an analogy of his kingship, his rulership, the way that he will exercise authority. Think of it this way. When other people have become kings, they usually take it by force, with power, wars, devastation. How did Jesus become king? Through sacrifice, love, grace and mercy. He's, a t he's setting up a whole different system of rulership with different types of subjects. We're not subjects in the sense that we've been taken over by force or been invaded we are his subjects for him to be our king because we've chosen to come under his authority because of his love and sacrifice. No other king on the planet has ever 
sacrificed himself for his subjects. None. And so this is what it's talking about when it's referring to Jesus. And in the political language of the ancient world, they often would call their kings or rulers their father. And so it's an an allergy of what Jesus would do and what he now has done for us. A father is the beginning. It's about our relationship in what he established for us. So everlasting father is an analogy that describes Jesus and the king that the world has never seen before. Previous rulers amassed their own wealth at the expense of their subjects. They ruled in dictatorship and authority and brought devastation. Previous rulers had been corrupt and made deals with other evil kingdoms. But Jesus is a different type of ruler. He invites us to become his children by invitation, never by force. He is our true protector and provider out of love. We don't follow him out of fear. That's how he is our father. He's not father as in God the father, but he's the beginning of this type of rule that the earth has never witnessed or experienced before Jesus came. Now the phrase everlasting caught my attention because with other kings or with other even fathers, think of your own earthly father, no father is everlasting. No king is everlasting. And some of us are thinking, well, thank goodness for that, because I didn't have a good relationship with my father. You wouldn't want them to be everlasting. But Jesus' rulership or style of kingdom is, well, it just won't ever cease. And here's, here's one verse. Go to the next slide for me. The next verse in Romans that actually points to how it is everlasting, um, which I think is one of the most powerful verses in Scripture where Paul explains to us that he's convinced. Now, remember, when Paul writes this, this is a man that's gone around teaching people about Jesus in the first century. He's been whipped, shipwrecked, beaten, came within an inch of his life, imprisoned for all this activity about sharing Jesus with other people. So when he writes this, he's not writing from a comfortable Western perspective where we think everything in life should go right for us. So he's... He's been traumatized and victimized because he's absolutely convinced that Jesus is the new sort of king that we should all follow. And this is what he says. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels, demons, the present, future, powers, height nor depth, anything in all creation can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everlasting. That's why we don't look at death like everybody else. Because we know life goes on. And in fact, later on, Paul actually says, you know, I, I, I want to be absent from my body because then I'm present with Jesus. So it's, it's so everlasting. Our human minds really can't comprehend how everlasting this is. We, don't, we talk about infinity. Uh, we talk about eternity. But we, I think until we're there, we're just not really going to grasp it because we, we are... Our own experience right now is in the physical limited realm. But the sort of rulership, the sort of fatherly activity that Jesus does in terms of loving you, interceding for you, um, making everything that you experience for your benefit, all the things that he's still currently doing for you and me is everlasting. No king has ever done that for his subjects. I'm a bit excited about that. 
quite honest. So, here's, here's the twist. If Jesus is not God the Father, but he started a new kingdom in a way that a true, loving, sacrificial father would, he's actually pointing us to his father. That's what he's doing. So here's the next verse. Put up the next slide for me, Adrian. Thank you. Jesus himself said in John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. The next phrase, nobody comes to the Father. So that's why we know Jesus is not the Father. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. What I'm about to do, when he mentions this, he hasn't been crucified yet, he hasn't been resurrected. Now, when we, we, we read that, and I know, you know, in our maybe tradition, we like to focus on the fact about life. But what about the way? The way to get to God the Father. So here's the kicker. It doesn't stop with just knowing Jesus. Jesus wants you to get to know his Father. Now, here's, our, here's my problem, and I'm going to share a little bit of my journey in a few, a few moments. If you don't have a good Father on earth, a biological Father... You can carry assumptions, you can project things onto that phrase, God the Father, and it inhibits your understanding or even your experience with God who did send his own son. And that son that he sent for you and me, he sent his son so we could get to him. Jesus himself said he's the way to the Father. He's the only access, but he's the way in. And in fact, I think for, you know, in a Pentecostal evangelical frame mind, we focus so much on life, but it's actually a way. It's a path. It's a journey. It's a lifestyle. It's everyday choices in following Jesus that gives you access to God the Father. Jesus isn't the end of our spiritual journey. We have to get to God the Father. That's the purpose. That's the point. But if we have a father wound, it can inhibit we don't like the phrase God the Father. Because let's face it, biological fathers, of which I'm one, we, we are broken people. I'm not a perfect father. For those men in the room who are fathers, maybe you're not perfect either. All of us have had fathers to some description, but maybe we didn't have perfect fathers. And the issue is if we carry the baggage, it weighs us down. And really... I mean, the way Clarissa explained it, it we all have fractured fathers and if we carry that into our relationship with God the Father, well, I, I mean, from my experience, it's easy to sort of stand away from him or not really get to know him. We're assuming he's judgmental. We, we consider him to be angry. Um, we think that he's going to, you know, smite us if we do the wrong thing. You know, we all joke about lightning bolts coming down from heaven. You ever joke sort of that or... You know, sometimes I invite people to church. Oh, you wouldn't want me in my, your church. The roof would cave in. I'm such a bad sinner. You know, that all comes from the fact that we assume that God is this judge sitting over us waiting to condemn us and sentence us to death. But that's not the kingdom in which God has set up through his son Jesus. It's a kingdom of grace, mercy, nurture, protection, provision, love. Love is a verb. It's not a feeling. God has sent his son Jesus and Jesus acted out that love by giving his own life so you and I could access his father and develop a relationship with God the Father. Uh, that's incredible. You all look a bit 
not so as, as happy as I am about that. I think that's amazing. He is the way to the Father. I'm trying to get to know my Father in heaven. Now, that's a big thing for me. I didn't have a father. That's, a, that's a, such a big thing. And, and so I'm going to get so up just in a second. So get ready, baby. She's going to get ready. Because we all have our own stories and journeys with fathers. And you know what my passion is today? What God really you know, spoke to me about in, in, in what to bring today for us as a family is God wants to liberate and set some of us free from these father wounds that we carry that actually inhibit the depth of relationship we can have with our Creator and, re- and Redeemer and Saviour. It's one thing to read about it in Scripture or to hear about the teaching of God being our Father. It's another thing to connect with Him as our Father. And I- I've had to work through some of my own issues about this because my father was totally absent. Now, I'm, we're certainly not shaming... Please understand, I'm not shaming any father, but I do want you to think about your own relationship with your father and does have you brought some of that woundedness into your relationship with your heavenly father because look no father is perfect and and we're all trying to get through life together aren't we this is not about throwing stones at people you know fathers can be terrible fathers can be wonderful and everything in between and so we I just want to make sure that you know how much God the father desires to have a relationship with you and you can actually have that relationship regardless of the sort of father you had biologically that's absolutely it's absolutely that doesn't have to have any correlation or influence on you whatsoever in your relationship with god the father i mean clarissa nailed it straight away because he's perfect he has no anger evil intent he doesn't get mad with you and wishes you weren't around or he doesn't say things that, that devastate you or cut you to the core. He's a, he so loves us so much that he gave his own son for us. And so we forget that, that Jesus took our judgment. He bore in his physical body our sin and judgment. And so that's why we, he is our, you know, Jesus opened the way to bring us to the Father. So the way to the Father is through Jesus and that's where we're going. We are going to form a relationship with God, our Father. And I just realized I should stop pointing as much as I am. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not pointing at anybody. I'm not pointing at anybody. But Jesus takes us to the Father. You need that. I need that. Regardless of how you were treated, whether you were abused, whether you were rejected, whether you were abandoned, whether your father was there but not present, whether you had, didn't really know how to talk to your dad or your dad said things that really it still haunts you today, whether your father's still alive or whether your father's um, you know, dead. The influence that a father can have is enormous. But God is different to our biological fathers. He is full of love and nurture and perfect. So, come up, Sue. So this is my bride of 30 years. We... Um, yeah, you should clap for her. She lives with me, so that takes quite a bit. But we have very different stories. Um, just pick up the microphone. We have very different stories and we had very different fathers. So I've, I've asked her in, in um, preparation, trying to share. Now, come, come closer. <laughs> put your, put, put your just, things there. She doesn't like public speaking. Uh, now we look, when when Carissa started talking, we just looked at each other in shock because we just we, we were, it was amazing, wasn't it? Really, 
Now, so why don't you tell um, us about your dad? So tell us his name, what he did. So my father's name was Donald. He was in the Air Force for many years and he was a floral artist. He was quite an amazing, creative man. Um, we had prize-winning gardens, which if you come to our place, you couldn't believe that I'm his daughter. Um, and he was so good at floral art, he was the first male accredited judge in Victoria. He was amazing. He, he won would, a stack of awards. He, we have so many ribbons um, from, you know, uh, Melbourne, the Melbourne show, Sydney show. Most children that go to shows love the rides and the show bags. We weren't allowed any of that. We had to stay with Dad with his floral um, art display. Displays. Yeah, displays. <laughs> That's right. Um, you were telling me you used to pick up things off the side of the road like driftwood and When we would drive to Adelaide to see our um, grandparents, he would spot different things on the planes and say, you know, we wouldn't talk, but he'd jump out and cut them all and, you know, they'd be poking, There's we in, there was five of us and I was the eldest, they would be poking us in the back because they're dried bits of whatever, but they would be in the car, as well as manure. He would pick up manure on the side of the road because that was good for his garden. He was trying to make his children grow. <laughs> that was my dad. And what about your well, dad? My dad was very, very different. In fact, uh, my dad was, his name's Henry. And uh, my mum and dad got married partly because they were about to have a child, which is my older brother. And so I was the second child um, in quick succession, about 18 months apart between my brother and I. And so my dad, Henry, was um, a painter. He paint, paints houses. And uh, he, he was, well... It just wasn't there. So when I was about five years of age, or just before I turned five, he left one day and he never returned. Um, so um, I sort of have a almost an absent father model, if you like. So your dad was there and quite creative. My dad was just not not even in the house. How would you describe your relationship with your with your father? Um. My father was a very good provider. I can remember when I wanted to get my first, well, it was actually my second car. My first car I bought for, for quite a few hundred dollars and the brakes weren't all that good and I went to him and said, I really need to get a new car. And so he helped me. I, um, I paid him all, it all back, but I didn't have to pay interest. So he was a good provider to us. Um, but it was interesting living in our house um, because my, my dad just didn't talk. And it's very evident when you live in a house where our children would ask Greg, Dad, how does electricity work? And, you know, Greg is just such an amazing teacher and just comes out with this explanation. And here's me listening because my father never talked, ever. And so he'd be there, but he was emotionally... Absent and distant. So what and sort of relationship? Describe oh, sorry. your relationship. Yeah, so... Um, it's hard to have a relationship with someone that doesn't yeah. talk back to you, communicate. communicate. Yeah. And my love language, as I learned, is words. You've got to help me, guys. <laughs> just, just pray for me. Is words. So fact, cause we that's we what joke, she has every love language. Not only the five in the book, there's about eight others that haven't been written about. 
But no, it is words. So yeah. that's half you. And so, so my, my, I mean, my relationship with my dad was just wasn't. He was just absent. So um, I didn't have. I sort of, in one way, feel I didn't have a bad role model because he just wasn't there. And I've never had any contact with him since the day he left. So like he's never written, rung, called, visited. Um, not one bit of relationship with him since I was about, you know, four and a half, almost five years of age. So we have quite different understandings. And of course, mm. being a father myself, you bring, you know, you bring who you are into your own fathering, which is probably another, another talk. So what, what do you think you desired most from, from your dad? Um, I desired a relationship to emotionally connect with him, for him to affirm and love me. Um, and it's funny, because I actually, when we, when we started in our marriage, yeah. I felt bad about saying anything to Greg about my dad because of where he'd come from. And yet I was trying to deal still when we got married with how my dad was. And uh, so, so let me let me tell you a funny story. When I went to ask him if I could marry his daughter, he didn't speak to me. <laughs> you know how nervous I was, right? Any any guys? Any, how many guys here have actually asked the father to marry the daughter? Oh, there's a few. I know it's not not all guys do it now, but so you know we talked about it. I'd planned it. You know I'd practiced what to say. I was nervous as anything. And he had like this uh, this little artwork um, sort of shed out the back where he, he held um, classes to design floral art displays. And he was out there. So I went out and I said, oh, I'm just wondering, Mr. Purdy, if we could have a chat. And he's chewing on a Snickers bar. And so he just goes. And so I said, well, I wanted to ask for your daughter's Susan hand in marriage. Would you allow me the privilege of marrying your daughter? Well, he sort of choked on the Snickers bar <laughs> and just nodded again. That was it. He didn't speak a word. So, I mean, that's, that's the sort of guy that he was. He was I mean, he was a great provider, but he, he just he was almost like he wasn't sure how to communicate. And really what I desired from my dad was some sort of relationship. And so um, I remember as a young child having no memory. In fact, when I was at primary school, I used to go to Rosanna Primary, um, I remember having distinct memories of being one of the only kids in the class who didn't have both parents. Now, I know it's, quite, it's almost a little bit more normal today where parents separate and kids at school don't always have both parents at home. But I was the only kid in my class where um, I only had one parent living at home. And so my desire was, uh, well, where is he? What, you know, why did he leave? Um, all those sort of questions that arose in me. Now, I know we've got to move on. So how, d how did you resolve or, you know, your relationship with your dad? Because just so you know, Don passed away about... Nine years, Nine years ago. ago. And um, <coughs> how did you resolve um, the relationship need that you had for him? So one of the older ladies in our church knew, um, or, I, you know, I talked to her, and she said, I was about 18 at this stage, and she said, so every night go to him at home, give him a kiss and say goodnight, and tell him you love him. And I did. So you, made, you, you sort of jumped um, the gap yep. and just made the effort to connect with him. Yep. yep. It was hard yep. because there was nothing I was getting back. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So for me, how I resolved it is when, when I really, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was really young when I first heard the gospel and I was quite interested in Jesus, you know, as a child. 
But it wasn't until I was about 15, in sort of the middle years, I was a real rebel. I lived on the streets. I was in a boys' home, ward of the state. And when I really decided, okay, I'm really going to follow Jesus. I'm going to, if I don't do something with my life, I'm probably going to end up in and out of the system for the rest of my days. And so I made a conscious decision to actually follow Christ every single day when I was about 15. And for me, the resolution came not through working some of the emotional stuff. So Sue's journey is different to mine. But I just felt um, when I put in the effort, so here's, here's something I did. The very first thing I did as a new Christian, I read every Bible passage on being a father and a husband. And I reread those passages over and over again as a 15, 16-year-old. I did that probably for about five years. Like Sue and I had just recently met at that time. And so for me, I felt like I almost had a grace where God just helped me not to sort of act out. Because, you know, you meet some people who have been mistreated by their dads. They wear it as like a medal of honour and as if it gives them permission to do all the stupid things that they do. So they might go and get drunk or smash cars or beat their wives or they do all this stuff and I when I was actually locked up I met a lot of people who were like that and they were acting out and actually God used that to say well is this the sort of life that you want so my resolution actually came not so much by focusing on on my dad or regretting that he wasn't there but just sort of letting that go and focusing okay what sort of life do I want and particularly when we initially talked about getting married um what sort of father would I end up being given the circumstances of my early life? And so that's partly how I'll, I resolved it. So here's the final question about talking about God as father. How do, you, how do you feel about God as being your father? I always saw it as separate from my natural father. I always felt like God was um, championing me on from the sidelines. I just... I never thought of God as I did my father but I felt like I I forgave my father and on his deathbed he this is really sad but this is he couldn't say I love you so what he said to me one of the things that was that he loved in his house was his DVD collection and his CD collection and he got Parkinson's and couldn't talk in the end but he was saying to me, writing it down, I could have anything in his collections. And I went home from the hospital with Greg, crying, and Greg saying, what's wrong, honey? And I said, he couldn't say he loved me. He could only give me part of his collection. And Greg said, why did you think that would change? And I said, well, all the Hollywood films show you that they say I love you at the end. And, but I never got that. No. But did yeah. forgive him. Here's one thing that, that certainly I learned out of, of watching him pass away is we often die the way we live. We think we're going to be different but and I've followed other people through their experience of going into death and, and it rings true. So really, I mean, our stories and our journeys and talking about God as being father is, well, if here's the, here's the, here's the thing for me. The real conviction for me was I could let my what happened to me, the mistreatment or the misunderstandings, the, the turmoil, the, the, the drama that I went through as a young child in not having a dad and everything that came with that, I could let that dictate my future or I could actually make a decision to allow God to change me. 
I can't change my father, but I can change myself. And I could be a different person. So I think, I think effectively we're often destined to repeat what we don't resolve. You can't, you can't help it. You know, you're hardwired because it drives you. And so when, when, you're, when you're focused on it and the, the bitterness or the negativity, the disappointment, it's actually influencing your decisions, your choices, your speech, your psychology, your feelings, your spirit more than you realise. And God doesn't, He's not going to re-enter history and give you a father that you should have had. He's not going to do that for me. But what He is going to do is change me. And you know what I've realised? Is that that changes my family. I can't change my dad. You know, and some years ago I tried to find him and couldn't find him. Then my sister found him and he didn't really want anything to do with, my, with his daughter, my sister. And so I can't change any of that. But you know what? I can change the negative driving impact it had on me by actually coming to God and saying, well, I know you love me and you are my father. I will actually follow you. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I can't change it. Then Sometimes we're driven by our bitterness and trying to, we want to get something out of our dads that they can't give us because they have their own stuff going on. But God's, what I found is I love God as my father. I absolutely, I mean, he's the best father you can ever have. And you've got to develop a relationship by going through Christ. So here's what I want to do. Can we all stand up together? We're just going to bring this to a close. We hope that our stories and this Bible teaching that Jesus opened the way to God the Father and that God the Father wants to know you like you can't comprehend. He loves you so intimately and He will direct and guide the rest of your life. So I want everyone to close their eyes because this is a private thing. I, honestly, we're not trying to shame anyone here. And if you are here with your father, there's no sense of shame. If you are a father and you're here, we're not, you know, I make my mistakes. This is, I'm really not trying to have any guilt here. This is about what God wants to do in all of us. And that is he can change us from the inside out. Now, if you've never made a conscious decision to follow Jesus, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. And maybe you, you can feel that God is drawing you. You sense this sort of calling in your heart or it can feel like a, a strong emotion in your, in your heart and your mind's racing, you're not really sure. But that's just God inviting you to come to know Him. And if you want to know more about what does it take to develop a relationship with God, who is this Jesus? How do we actually pattern our life after Him? Can you just lift your hand up right now? Just put your hand in the air. I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out the front. We're just going to give you a little pack and we're happy to chat to you afterwards about what does it mean to be a Christian in our modern world. Is there anybody here that wants to make that choice for the very first time? You can just slip your hand up. Now for the rest of us, I want you to think about the relationship you have. Firstly, with your biological father is there anything you have to let go has the lord spoken to you by his spirit as you've heard us this morning heard clarissa as you you've, as god's been moving by his spirit that you need to forgive your dad for he can't dictate his behavior and the impact that it has on you can be quite devastating for your future not so much for his 
I want to call you out, actually. If is there anybody here that wants, we will stand with you and pray with you. Let's do that. Anybody want to come and have some prayer time? Just come, come to the front right now, if that's you. If God's spoken to you about your relationship with your biological earthly dad. And there's someone here when we were praying beforehand um, that they feel their heart is encased in a crate. I can just see wood all round this person's heart and they, 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 they've come to church but they just don't think anything's going to break into their heart and um, God wants to do a work a work with you and he's just such a, a precious loving heavenly father and uh, he just very gently wants wants to help you move through what you're going through we're not going to linger here so if you want if you want some prayer ministry please just come forward we're going to be happy to to share with you maybe the lord you know what for me personally when i hear from the lord it can just open up something that years of counseling or family members talking to me doesn't have the same impact or doesn't break the same thing over me and so there's no shame here we're all work on the same journey here so look i'll tell you what I, I might close the service let me close the service and if you want to come and chat to us i'll stay out the front here and certainly happy to pray with you but let me say this god is our heavenly father who is perfect in love and he's going to transform you. Not, it mean, it's not always immediate. For a lot of stuff that I had to let go, it was a long journey of following what God wanted me to do, regardless of how I was treated. And that we learn so much through, do, through obedience, through humility. We don't learn very much through revenge and anger. We, we, we actually devastate ourselves through that. So I just want to encourage you. You know, think about what you heard this morning and how the Lord is speaking to us as a church about our everlasting Father. So we're going to finish with a song right now. May the Lord bless you. But if you want some time to have some ministry, please come forward at the end of the service. Thank you. This is amazing